Tracy Conway was a star on uh, the Seattle comedy show Almost Live, which aired from 1984 to 1999, and it happened to actually be the start of Bill Nye the Science Guy. That's where that got its beginning. Anyway, in 1995, Tracy fell to the ground dead from sudden cardiac arrest during a live taping of the show, and the audience laughed. Uh, when she went down. Ironically, the actors had just spoofed the show ER, if you remember that show, and the audience thought that Tracy's fall was, was part of the whole show. And uh, someone did eventually call 911. A volunteer firefighter performed CPR. Paramedics showed up and used airway ventilation and repeated shocks from the defibrillator. And aston- astonishingly, in less than 20 minutes from the time that Tracy died... Her heart beat again. Now, almost 23 years later, with an implantable cardioverter defibrillator, that's a mouthful, in her chest, she is an internationally acclaimed speaker and accomplished writer. God gave Tracy her life, took it, and then graciously gave it back And I think all, I want you to think of all of the means that God used in order to do it, to save her. A volunteer firefighter, medics, doctors, nurses, they all helped. But it was ultimately God who gave life. Isn't it interesting that Paul told young Pastor Timothy in verse 16 that by keeping a close watch on himself and the teaching, he would save himself and his hearers. Does God use pastors to save people? Well, similarly to how God used CPR, medics, and AEDs to save Tracy Conway's life, it's clear that God saves his people from sin and eternal death through the gospel ministry of pastors in local churches. Here's the big point. God works to save his people through the biblical preaching and personal holiness of pastors. Now, I'm a bit self-conscious about preaching this because I'm a pastor that has to preach this. But I must preach this passage for your salvation. You need to know these verses which can help you understand the significance pastoral ministry plays in your life. Now, there's, there's much confusion today about pastors and who they are, what they do are are pastors CEOs? Are they, are they motivational speakers? Are they political commentators or cultural commentators? Are they business leaders? Are they celebrities? Well, this text clears up the matter. It tells us what pastors should be and do. Pastors should be faithful preachers of God's word and men of great holiness. Simple. Now, that's not all that there is to say about pastors, but that says a lot of it. All of a pastor's ministry flows from the authority of God's word and his own personal holiness, which comes through his union with Christ. And faithful pastoral ministry helps God's people enjoy God and reach their final salvation. So let's dig into these verses together to see what's here, to see what God has to say to pastors and to congregations. So I'll begin here. God works to save his people through the authoritative, the authoritative teaching of pastors. 
The context is the Apostle Paul instructing a young pastor in how to pastor a church. In verse 11, Paul said very clearly, command and teach these things. Now, similar to verse 6, I understand these things to mean everything in 1 Timothy, not everything in pop culture. Paul didn't instruct Timothy to suggest these things, but to command these things because they came from God to Paul, to Timothy, to the church in Ephesus, and to the church today. Jesus Christ is behind all of it. But Paul also said, teach these things. Timothy's role as pastor was to teach God's word with conviction to help the Ephesian church apply it and his authoritative teaching, through his authoritative teaching, salvation would come for himself and for those that would hear him. Do you remember how Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching, teaching them to observe all that I have what? Commanded you. Teaching what Christ commanded. Teaching sound biblical doctrine is integral to God's plan to save people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Salvation comes through the knowledge of God's truth. Well, it's hard to find sound biblical authoritative teaching these days. Pastor John MacArthur said this, Preaching in our day is often intriguing but seldom commanding. Often entertaining, but seldom convicting. Often popular, but seldom powerful. Often interesting, but less often transforming. End of quote. Bosch, it makes a a, a 36-volt lithium-ion cordless drill. 36 volts. Wow. Does that impress any of you? Probably not. A few of you are like, "Mm." that's right. Well, they call it, you know what they call it? Brute tough. Isn't that cool for a drill? Brute tough. That drill will not run on a watch battery. It's not going to run. The church can't run on watch battery teaching either. We need the full power of the authoritative teaching of God's authoritative word. Our salvation is connected to biblical teaching. Jesus commanded. Jesus taught, and he still does, through his word. Ask yourself the question, what is Jesus' plan to command and teach his people today? Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Jesus works through imperfect pastors. My job is to equip you for ministry, to build you up, to promote our precious unity in the faith, to teach you unto your greater knowledge of God and to help you Reach heaven to enjoy the presence of God forever. Therefore, I must command, I must teach you God's word. My salvation and your salvation are connected to this. Next point. God works to save his people through the godly example of pastors. Now, verse 12 is... I've seen this abused. It's often used to encourage children or teenagers. 
And uh, that's peculiar because oftentimes the point of what it's actually saying is completely missed in the application of it. So there are absolutely good applications of this verse for all ages, but only when the verse is rightly understood. Paul told young pastor Timothy, young pastor Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth. Youth is being used in verse 12 for a grown adult male who is pastoring a prominent church. In the first century, there were apparently two groups uh, or classes of grown men, young men and elders. Young men were likely between 20 and 40 years of age, and Timothy was a young man. Based on the chronology of Timothy's life and details of the book of Acts and the the dating of the writing of 1 Timothy, most commentators agree that Timothy was in his 30s, which was relatively young to carry the weight of the pastorate in Ephesus. Why did, did Paul say, let no one despise you for your youth? Well, it would have been easy for the older saints in the church to dismiss Timothy's pastoral ministry because he was much younger. But Timothy was to command and teach God's word. So Timothy was not to allow his age to distract from the authority of God's word. Understand, age and experience, very, very helpful in the church, very helpful to the pastor, very helpful to the people, but a pastor's authority is not in his age and in his experience, but in God's word, which he commands and teaches, but not too fast. You see, some young buck coming into a church and throwing his weight around is never a good thing, never a good thing. Yes, a young pastor must command and teach God's word with authority if he is to be faithful, but he must be very careful to earn respect as well because of the importance of God's word preached and received by faith Paul gave Timothy a good strategy in verse 12 to combat the age issue but set the believers an example in speech in conduct in love in faith in purity exemplary holiness in a pastor's life reinforces the power and truth of the pastor's message. Exemplary holiness in a pastor's life reinforces the power and truth of the pastor's message. Think of how Timothy's holiness helped those older saints in Ephesus, really the entire church, see the holiness of Christ. As Timothy communed with Christ and walked by the Spirit of God The believers could see that the gospel was at work in Timothy, even amidst this great difficulty in Ephesus. False teachers are going crazy with their weird doctrines. And Timothy has to straighten it out. Christ-likeness has a way of driving home the point. Godliness overcomes any deficiency in grayness. I really like how Dr. Riken put it. He said, quote, how can a young minister gain the respect of his elders? Not by demanding it, obviously, or by throwing his weight around, but only by setting a godly example. The way to stop people from looking down on you is to make sure they look up to you. And the way to do that is to lead by example, end of quote. Much uh, jewelry today is cast jewelry, 
It's probably what I, I bought uh, Christina for her engagement ring, cast jewelry, because it's less expensive, okay? And, and, and it's less expensive than dye-struck jewelry. Now, dye-struck jewelry, and I'm no jeweler, so if you're a jeweler or have it in your background, you're like, come on, man, I'm trying here, all right? So dye-struck jewelry is denser. It's denser, and it, it gives an heirloom quality that can last for many ages, and, so, uh, and that's because of the die-striking process. And so a steel master die, these just tough things, steel master die is created with an image cut on it. I think there's a male and a female piece with that. And then to preserve the master die, which is not used in the production of the jewelry, they make replicas that are created called working dies. So sheet metal is placed between the working dies, a male and a female, and it's subjected to up to 50 tons of pounding pressure to form this metal into the jewelry. The forceful strikes forge the metal to take the shape of the working dies, which carry the shape of the master die. Are you following me here? Well, that's kind of the idea of verse 12. Timothy was to be a tupos, a sort of working die of the master die, Jesus Christ, from which the Ephesian believers could take shape. By grace alone, Timothy was to be an example of Christ for the Ephesian believers to follow. Being, a, being an example was something that was common in Paul's writing. Peter used the same word in 1 Peter 5.3 when he addressed his fellow elders and he told them to be examples to the flock. Paul mentioned five areas in which Timothy was to be an example. Number one, in speech. Timothy's words needed to be forged by Jesus. He, he couldn't be obscene. He couldn't be offensive because then the volume of the gospel message would be reduced in the ears of the people. Number two, in conduct. Timothy's behavior needed to be forged by Jesus. He couldn't be a hypocrite or a corrupt man because then the power of the gospel message would be suspect in the minds of the people. Number three, in love. Timothy's affection for God and other people needed to be forged by Jesus. He couldn't be cold or aloof because then the warmth of the gospel message would be chilled in the hearts of the people. Number four, in faith. Timothy's trust in God needed to be forged by Jesus. He couldn't be filled with skepticism and distrust because then the certainty of the gospel message would be weakened in the minds of and hearts of the people. And number five, impurity. Timothy's virtue and chasteness needed to be forged by Jesus. He couldn't be filled with immorality or debauchery because then the spotlessness and the goodness of the gospel message would be soiled in the perception of the people. Timothy needed to be exemplary in holiness so that the beautiful gospel that he preached could be received with full effect. Nowadays in the Evangelical Church of America, youthfulness is a virtue. Go to the websites of many of the fastest growing churches in America, and you'll see it flat out right there in your face. Young and beautiful people everywhere, especially up front on the stage playing rock music. That's what you're going to see. Where are the old and mature saints? The people who don't look very good. 
Eh, I'm not saying just because you're old and gray that you don't look good. Don't put words in my mouth. But where are the older saints? Now, our context is different than in Timothy's days, but the truth is the same. Much more than youth, much more than beauty, much more than charisma, pastors need to be men of holiness. A pastor can't simply preach. He must also live what he preaches, which helps his people reach their salvation. Consider Jesus. Was his life preoccupied with the young and the bold and the beautiful? Is there anything scandalous about the life of Jesus? He is the fullness of truth and holiness. His exemplary holiness confirms he is the truth. His speech unassailable. His doctrine impeccable or conduct impeccable. His love boundless. His trust in God unwavering. His purity radiant. And he ministered on this earth as a young man. A young man. Jesus saves people. Jesus saves people, but he also gives his people a flawless and beautiful example to follow in himself and in pastors who emulate him. Friends, as your pastor, I'm committed to follow Christ As an example for you, whatever holiness you see in me is Christ in me, and I'm well aware that I am a very dim reflection of Christ's glorious holiness. I am regularly struck with my inadequacies and failures as your pastor, but by God's sovereign grace at work in me, may my speech and conduct and love and faith and purity reinforce for you the flawlessness and the beauty of the Christ that I preach. Pray for me. Pray that I would be faithful in helping you reach your salvation. Next point. God works to save his people through the biblical preaching of pastors Now, this point corresponds to point one, verses 13 and 14. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Well, Paul hoped to return to Ephesus, but in the meantime, Paul desired young Timothy to continually give himself fully to a few essential things. Public scripture reading, exhortation, and teaching. Verse 13 is key for our worship services, for all worship services, uh, weekly worship services, and life of local churches. Three essential things. Number one, public reading of scripture. Timothy needed to give himself fully to the reading of God's word out loud for God's people. God graciously speaking through Scripture would work for their salvation. God's Word is precious. God's Word is powerful. Shouldn't God's people long to hear God speak to them? Their Father speak directly to them. Where do they hear their loving Father speak to them if not in and through His Holy Word? Now, most churches in Lancaster County don't hear much from God in their gatherings because so little of God's word is in their worship. 
When pastors read the Bible in worship, God speaks and God communes with his people to strengthen them unto salvation. Scripture is essential sustenance for God's people. Many churches, they devote so much time to movie clips, props, skits, announcements, ministry promos, music, and other things but they give so little time to reading God's word together, which happens to be where the power of transformation is. Paul's point was not simply, just sprinkle a little scripture out there. Just put a little bit out there for the people, enough to let them know that you're a Christian church. But that scripture would define worship. Saturation was Paul's idea. Paul said, devote yourself. Number two, exhortation. Exhortation. Notice, exhortation follows Scripture reading, which implies that Timothy was to read Scripture and then urge God's people to respond to Scripture. Timothy was to persuade the believers to respond to God's truth appropriately. Some scholars Uh, see exhortation here as Bible exposition or explaining and applying the Scripture. In fact, instead of exhortation, the NIV translates it preaching. Preaching. Pastors must devote themselves to explain Scripture, to encourage, urge, and comfort their people from Scripture, and they must help their people know how to apply Scripture to everyday life. So much modern preaching is filled with jokes, quotes, and anecdotes, but only lightly seasoned with Scripture. Lightly seasoned. Scripture is not an hors d'oeuvre. It's not a garnish. It's not a subtle flavor. It's the feast. It's the feast. It is what believers gather to consume. God does not feed His people with movie clips and Oprah quotes. Pastors and churches need to repent and need to return to real preaching where the Word of God is proclaimed and explained for the joy and salvation of believers. Forget the one-liners. Forget the cliches. Forget the pithy little truisms. God's Word must be heralded. The power of salvation is in it. Oh, that pastors would stop entertaining their people to hell and return to explaining the beautiful truths of God so their people can struggle and fight with joy the entire way into everlasting presence of God. Devote yourself to exhortation, Timothy. Number three, teaching. Sound biblical doctrine is vital to the health and growth of the church. So Paul urged Timothy to devote himself to teaching, which coincides with scripture reading and exhortation. Do you see that in the, in the passage? In other words, Timothy was to educate and instruct God's people in scripture so they would hear and know the truth and be saved. The gospel is doctrine that must be taught. There is no doubt about it. Teaching is doctrinal. It's doctrinal. To teach is to communicate doctrine. That's what teaching is. And the teaching suitable for the corporate worship of God's people is Bible teaching. Not the Reader's Digest. Not World Magazine or Time or whatever. Not the newest fad on the internet, but the Bible. Teaching the Bible. Again, John MacArthur said this, 
Preaching and teaching is the highest calling of a minister. It is tragic that so many in our day have been diverted from that. They spend their time on non-essentials and their people end up spiritually impoverished. End of quote. Sad, but true. In the majority of churches, I would, I would guess. What is the purpose of reading and preaching God's word in worship? The Bible. What's the purpose? Is it to make us laugh? To make us cry? To, to, give, to give us a good feeling inside? To make us feel good about ourselves? To entertain us more than what an extra two hours of sleep would have entertained us? God desires his word to be the centerpiece of worship, the main course, because through his word, he saves his people. Now, you are saved, but you are being saved, and you will be saved, and the word works to make your salvation complete, to see it through to the end. Your salvation in Christ is absolutely secure, dear believer, dear brother and sister in Christ, but it is still in progress. Still in progress. And God's word read, exhorted, and taught plays an integral role in its finalization. Paul said in verse 14, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now, another way to say that would be like this. Do not neglect the gift in you, given you through prophecy, with laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Now, the word council of elders is presbyterion. Do you hear anything there? Presbyterion, from which we get the word presbyterian. Timothy had graciously received a special spiritual gift from God that he was to use in pastoral ministry to which he was being ordained by the council of elders or the presbytery. The word prophecy confirms that Timothy's gift that he was to use originated from God. It was God giving him the gift that was confirmed then by the presbytery. Back in chapter 1, verse 18, Paul mentioned prophecies previously made about Timothy. The spirit-given gift that Timothy possessed through prophecy was to help him wage the good warfare of pastoral ministry, to do his work as a spirit-led pastor, working, toiling, to, to teach and to lead the church. God appoints pastors to gospel ministry. He gifts them for it and uses them to save his people. Listen in verse 15 again where Paul drives home the point. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Now what does these things mean in verse 15? Well, Paul had just said for Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, and to not neglect the gift in him to use it in ministry. So now perhaps Paul had more than just that in mind. He could have been going to verses before that, but he at least had that in mind. Either way, Timothy needed to immerse himself or to be in Paul's directives. Timothy needed to be completely absorbed, completely engrossed in preaching and personal holiness. It was his role by Christ's command. 
Now, Christina, some of you might not know this, she is a, a doctor of physical therapy, so she is employed at Hershey Rehab Hospital, and so she often works with uh, brain injury and stroke patients. And as she works with her patients, she has certain exercises that she takes them through, and her exercises are aimed at progressing her patients in strength, balance, coordination, and endurance. And the end goal is that they would walk again, that, that, that they would be able to regain a lot of what they had before. And so for Christina's patients, I mean, no pain, no gain. That's true. And, and if you've had physical therapy, you know what I'm talking about. I've had a little bit, and it's pain. Uh, but it's good. And pain leads to progress, to progress. Why was full immersion in biblical preaching and personal holiness important for Timothy? Progress, progress, progress in holiness and progress in ministry. The believers in Ephesus needed to see the gospel growing Timothy spiritually. Timothy needed to be an example of how the law and gospel work out in someone's life. And I think Paul has Timothy's sanctification in view, him becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, when a church sees their pastor's desperate need of Jesus, sees him depending on Jesus more and more, sees him growing spiritually, sees him becoming more like Jesus by the Holy Spirit at work in him, sees him serving with greater faithfulness and greater selflessness and greater sacrifice, then they see the supremacy of Christ at work in the man. As Christ transforms the pastor, the pastor's gospel transformation confirms and adorns the gospel he preaches. This progress works toward the salvation of the pastor and it works towards the salvation of the pastor's people. I am a man of incredible weakness and need. I cried in my office this week, pleading with God not to leave me and to help me. And though I am aware of the gifts that God has given me, I certainly desire to use them for his glory and for your joy and your growth. Um, I am also aware of massive inadequacies and limitations. But as I preach God's word and strive for holiness, by God's grace alone, I want you to see my progress, my growth, and to delight in the gospel because of it. Perhaps you have seen growth in me Perhaps I am a better pastor today than what I was on June 7, 2013, excuse me, when I began here. Perhaps you have seen God's glorious grace change me. And in that, you have more fully beheld and enjoyed Christ. And hopefully my progress in holiness will help you progress to your eternal salvation. So I'd like to, I'd like to end with this. God works to save his people through the persistent personal holiness and biblical preaching of pastors. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, Timothy. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Watch your life closely, Timothy. Examine yourself. Test yourself. Don't let yourself grow lazy in holiness. Don't let your example slip. Be all that Christ has saved you to be, Timothy. Timothy, pay close attention to the teaching, to your doctrine, 
to how you instruct God's people. Be, be theologically precise, Timothy, for your people. Don't waver on the truth. Exalt in it and tell them, Timothy. Tell them the truth. Contend for the faith. Persist in your personal holiness and gospel ministry. Keep at it, Timothy. Don't stop, Timothy. Endure, Timothy. Persevere, Timothy. Keep going, Timothy. But why? Why did young Pastor Timothy need to persist in these things? For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The NASB may be a better translation here. For as you do this, you will save yourself and those who hear you. Showing movies during worship and discussing biblical themes from them seems ridiculous when you realize that sound biblical doctrine saves people from hell and promises them eternal life and joy with a glorious God. Filling corporate worship with rock music or comedy or drama loses its appeal when we realize people are saved through the reading and teaching of God's Word, which reveals for them a gloriously beautiful Christ and God to enjoy forever. Now, Paul cannot possibly mean that Timothy is the Savior. He cannot possibly mean that, or that Timothy had the power inside of himself to rescue people from their sins and the wrath of God. That would contradict the clear gospel that he has taught. That would would not be accurate, but I do think that Paul means that the gospel which Timothy preaches, the scriptures that he reads and exhorts and teaches this gospel, this risen and crucified and risen Christ, he alone has the power to save through Timothy's pastoral ministry. Pastors who preach the gospel preach the gospel because they want to be saved and they want their people to be saved too. They expound scripture because they need the gospel and because their people need the gospel too. And when the Spirit works through the Word, people get saved, continue to be saved, and eventually reach their great salvation that Christ has secured for them in Himself. One study note said this, quote, Timothy's perseverance in sound doctrine and practice will save him, i.e., it will lead him to persevere in the faith, confirming his salvation. This type of ministry will be effective in preserving his hearers as well, end of quote. Something amazing happens when a pastor preaches the gospel. Faith is created. Faith is strengthened in those who hear. Those who hear by faith. Not just here, but here by faith, by the heart of faith. Only Christ can save, but Christ uses pastors to save his people. He brings perseverance to his people through Christ on the lips of preachers. Now, someone who gets saved and then very sporadically attends the preaching of God's word has no idea how eternally dangerous their lack of hearing Christ really is because God uses sound biblical doctrine, consistently preached, throughout the years to save his people. I'd like to end with a quote from and application, um, and, and then I'd like to ask you to, to serve me in a certain way, if you would. Um, but here's the quote. It's from the great Puritan Matthew Henry, and he said this, those who teach 
by their doctrine must teach by their life. Else they pull down with one hand what they build up with the other. Biblical preaching and personal holiness are inseparable friends. They showcase the gospel together. Now, you, you're not a pastor. Uh, but there is an application here for you. So let me, let me try to help you do that. First, how are verses 6 through 16 encouraging you to receive pastoral ministry? Second, how are verses 6 through 16 encouraging you to disciple others in Scripture and to give them a godly example to follow? Third, are you closely watching how you live, making sure in every little way that you are an example of Jesus Christ? Now, this passage is precious to me, very precious. As a young man, I've read this many times. And it has ministered to me. And it can be that way for you as well if you treat it as the Word of God and see what it means and how it might apply to you. Now I'd like to ask you to serve me in a few ways. This is how you could serve your pastor. Would you, number one, pray for my holiness and pray for my family's holiness? Number two, pray that my speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity would be saturated by Christ so that I would be an example for you and others. Number three, would you pray for my preaching and teaching ministry that I would be faithful, always faithful, no matter what the consequences, faithful. And four, would you pray the same for your elders and their families and maybe even the future pastors of this church because I will not be here forever. This is a precious church. May this type of thing be guarded here. Guarded here. Would you also keep me accountable to walk in holiness and to preach God's word? Accountability. Hold me to the fire, so to speak. Who's courageous enough to do that? To the pastor. I crave your accountability. You must devote yourself to Scripture in order to have the biblical discernment to keep me accountable to Scripture. How are you going to do that if you don't know it? How do you know if what I'm saying is true? You weigh it against the Word, but you have to know the Word. Hold me accountable. I want it. I plead for you to love me that way, to love your elders that way. It is to your advantage. It works to your salvation All right, Jesus is to be applauded, not pastors. Jesus is to be followed, not pastors. Jesus is to be emulated, not pastors. Yes, God does want you to follow the example of your pastor, but only so far as your pastor is following the example of the chief pastor, Jesus Christ. Listen very carefully as I end. Follow whoever speaks, acts, loves, trusts, and exemplifies pureness like Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for speaking to us. God, you have been very kind to us this morning to give us a a message to think about. One directed to a young pastor and one 
for us as the church. So God, there's all kinds of applications from this. And I pray that you would drive it home by your Holy Spirit. Help us to comprehend these things and to treasure them in our heart. And God, help us to then together as brothers and sisters in Christ, after the preaching of the word, under the preaching of your authoritative word, that we would come to the Lord's table together and that we would revel in the grace that you have given us in Christ and that we would know what is happening here at this table. God, may this be profound for us, and may we celebrate Jesus Christ together. Amen.